0: Corinthians chapter number one, 1 Corinthians chapter number one, and uh, good morning to everybody. Glad that you're here. I realize I'm not here I'm in the bottom end of the Grand Canyon, hopefully, and uh, we're here today making this uh, here. We're going to pick up in verse 18 where we've left off. I'm glad that you're here in this next lesson uh, here uh, in person, I'm even though I'm not there And uh, glad that you uh, uh, made that commitment to be here today. All right, Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter number 1. Uh, I want to go back in here. Uh, We looked uh, at verse 18. That's where we've been. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is the power of God. And uh, we looked last time uh, at the four men there in verse 12 where he says, I'm of Paul, and I'm of Apollos, and I'm of Cephas, and I of Christ. And when we talk here about now verse 18, we're going to be talking about Paul and the preaching of the cross. Again, we looked last time that there, uh, Paul, the uniqueness of that phrase, the preaching of the cross, belongs only to the Apostle Paul. And when you think about, and again, the church at large, uh, the majority of them all say that everybody's preaching the same thing. They all are preaching the cross. They're all looking at the cross the same way, and yet when we went back and looked at the preaching of the cross in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the Gospels and the earthly ministry of the Lord, really what we saw was uh, it was it wasn't it was ignorance. Uh, the audience, when the Lord would tell them, he tells them three times, i got to go to Jerusalem, I've got to be delivered up, I'm going to be killed, and I'm going to rise the third day. And they, you know, Peter, oh, not so, Lord, and, you know, rebuked the Lord and everything. And, you know, so there was no good news in the cross being preached during the earthly ministry of Christ. And really, the... (laughs) The question that you have to ask when people say that is, what's the audience getting, okay? And they looked at it as, hey, what did he say? Do we ask him? No, I ain't asking him. You ask him. And they wouldn't. So you had ignorance there. And then we move to Peter, Cephas, in Acts 2. And in Acts 2, the early Acts ministry, Acts 1 to 8 there, the preaching of the cross and so forth. Peter does preach the cross. By the way, the Lord does preach the cross. It's just not the preaching of the cross according to the revelation of the mystery which was given to Paul, which was kept secret, but now made manifest. It isn't that at all. It's rather, how did Peter preach the cross in Acts 2, Acts 3, Acts 4, Acts 5, subsequent Stephen in Acts 7? It wasn't a good thing. and Rather, it was an indictment against Israel that they by wicked hands had had killed, had murdered the Messiah. And literally what Peter is doing, and really the Holy Ghost through the pen of Peter, is literally handing down a bill of indictment against the nation as a whole, that apostate nation for the murder of the Lord Jesus Christ. By the way, nothing in Acts 1-8 to would indicate that Peter ever talked any of that to a Gentile. There's no good news about the Gentiles coming to understand that the death and burial and resurrection was for our sins and for our justification. None of that, see. And yet, if you come over to Galatians 6, Galatians 6, verse 14, when you, and by the way, Apollos, Acts 18, is very clear. All Apollos knew was the baptism of John. He didn't even know that the cross had happened. So he wouldn't have even been preaching the cross, period, in, his, in the moment in time when this is being uh, hammered out there in Acts 18, 19, and so forth. But when we come to Paul, we learn Galatians 6, 14, but God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. You see, it's with Christ now. Again, 1 Corinthians 1.18, but for the preaching of the cross, it's it's now with Paul that the cross becomes the center of all. With all of its ugliness, with all of its violence, with all of its offensiveness, with all of its uh, uh, stand against man and his self-righteousness, it comes now with Paul. Paul says, you know where my glory point is? It isn't in, that thing in Philippians, uh, where, in, in Philippians 3, where he lays out his credentials there of the flesh, circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, the Hebrew of the Hebrews is touching the law of Pharisees, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness, which is in the law, blameless. I mean, I, he says, hey, look, if you can glory in the flesh, I can do it better than you. And he lists all that out. Then he says, verse 7, Philippians 3, 7, But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. See, the end of verse 8, that I may win Christ. Again, verse 8, Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ and be found in Him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of of God by faith, that I may know Him and the power of His. And off, it's only with Paul do we begin to learn what the the full depth, the richest, the full of con, accomplishments, the full achievements of the cross. And what Paul's literally going to do in 1 Corinthians now go back there verse 1 chapter 1 is he's going to say, "You know what? We need to maintain the offense of the cross. We need to maintain the ugliness, the violence. We need to we need to be we need to be kind and loving when we do it, but we need to maintain it. We need to protect the gospel. We need to take the gospel message given to the Apostle Paul and protect it and proclaim it and to preach it because Paul is the only one to ever reference the cross as the preaching of the cross. Again, the Lord, he tells them they're ignorant about it. They, they don't know anything about it. It's not till after the resurrection do they have their understanding open. Peter looks at it and says, you guys killed the Messiah. You guys messed up your murderers and that bill of indictment of guilty from the, against Israel for killing him is there. Paul then shows up in Acts 9 and revealed to him over time is a system of revelation that reveals the deep meaning, the deep fullness, the full accomplishment of the crucifixion, the crosswork of Christ. So Paul, when he says in verse eighteen, "For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved, it is the power of God." To the world out there, when you and I preached the cross and that Christ died for your sins and was buried and rose again the third day, according to you know what they, you guys are a bunch of fools for worshiping a dead Jew happened two thousand years ago. What are you nuts? There's something better and bigger happening ever since then, and blah blah. And yet, for you and I, what do we come to understand? That it's really the power of God, and it's really where we need to be. So, Paul, in looking at Paul this morning, okay, uh, and then next week um, we're going to look at one more verse, really a, a big verse that gets used uh, all th- all through Christianity to say it's about the cross and everything. And in reality, it is simply a wisdom of words. And we'll look at that next time. This morning, though, Paul's going to preach the cross really in three very specific areas. And, uh, where, and, and again, he's, he is the only one that's going to give us all the detail. And we're going to touch on the three areas quickly and, and get on down because I want to do some other things here as we do this. So first of all, The first area, we'll call it justification, but rather what we're going to say is is how can all of humanity, all of humanity, be justified unto eternal life? Come over with me to 1 Timothy chapter 1. When Paul preaches Christ, the preaching of the cross, Christ crucified, and that issue of our justification unto eternal life, notice 1 Timothy 1 verse 14. And the grace of our Lord Jesus was exceeding abundant with faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to what? Save sinners, of whom I am chief. No one prior to Paul ever said that he's coming into the world to save sinners. The prophetic program has the Messiah coming, okay, a meek and lowly coming. And then a second coming, king and glory and so forth. And you know what? No one ever in any of that prophetic scriptures, any of the Old Testament, any of the earthly ministry, any of Acts, Acts 3, he says when the time of refreshing shall come with the, with the, with the appearing of the Lord. And so forth. any of that, none of that had you and I in mind as far as our, our justification unto eternal life. Rather, something else. Again, no one prior to Paul said that he came into this world to save sinners. Now, look at verse 16. Howbeit, for this cause I obtained mercy. What cause? Well, verse 15. Why did he come into the world? To save sinners. Now, the cause of a new revelation, a cause of a new truth being revealed a new set of information as the means of justification unto eternal life for who? All of humanity. You see, what did Jesus Christ say to the rich young ruler? You remember? He comes in and he says, Master, what do I do to have eternal life? What did the Lord say? Keep the law. Keep the commandments. He goes, I've done that. I've kept the commandments. I've kept them all. And then the Lord says, okay, well, now I say unto you, sell all that you have. You see, he added to it. It wasn't enough to keep the commandments. When the Lord showed up, when Messiah, now we got another step. By the way, what did that young man do? He went away kind of upset because he had great wealth, and the old line is great wealth had him. Here, again, nothing about the cross to that young rich ruler. Nothing about, hey, look, I'm going to go die. I'm going to die for your sins. Just believe in the shed blood, and you'll be good. None of that. Come over to Chapter 2 of 1 Timothy. You see, it's with Paul, where Paul lays out now that the answer to the sin problem for all of humanity is this man, Christ Jesus. It's him saving the sinner. It's him dying, being buried, and rising the third day. 1 Timothy 2, notice verse number 3. 1 Timothy 2, 3. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time, whereunto I am ordained a preacher and an apostle, I speak the truth in Christ and lie not, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and verity. Now, notice those verses very carefully. What does Paul say? First of all, Paul says he would have the will of God for all of humanity is that they would be saved. So when you got saved, guess what you were doing? The will of God. Okay, that's wonderful, isn't it? You didn't even know it, but you were. But then he says, and come to the knowledge of the truth. And then Paul protects those two items, by saying in verse 5, for there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all. Now, wait a second. Where is Scripture is that outside of Paul? There is none. So what Paul says is he would have all men be saved. How? According to my gospel, who says that the man, Christ Jesus, came into the world to do what? Save sinners. He protects it. He looks at it and he says, I'm going to protect this issue of who would have all men to be saved. What are we talking about? We're talking about my gospel, the end of verse, to be testified in due time. But see, that's not enough because verse 4 then says, and come to the knowledge of the truth. Okay, what's that? Verse 7, whereunto I'm ordained a preacher and apostle. I speak the truth in Christ and lie not, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and verity. And, okay, so not only are they going to use my gospel, but now we're going to do the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery, which was kept secret since the world began, but now is made manifest, Romans 16, 25, and 26. Now you know, by the way, now you know why we spent eight weeks in those two verses. Why? Because those two protect. So Paul protects it. So when he begins to preach the cross, the preaching of the cross, okay, it's powerful to you and I. Why? Because it saved our our, sorry rear end. It got us out of the depths of hell. It justified us unto eternal life. And Paul does that and takes care of it. Now, come back to Romans 6. Because the second area, you already kind of know probably where we're headed, and that's the issue of sanctification. Not only do, do we learn from Paul that he's saving all men through the cross work, but now we begin to understand, and again, it's only Paul that reveals that the cross also makes the believer usable, sanctified, sanctification, set apart for a purpose, and, it's, and, and the believer is usable because of what happened at Calvary. What happened? He died, he was buried, and he rose again the third day. What does that mean? Again, Paul's pulling in the deep, rich meaning, full meaning of it. Look at Romans 6. What did he do? Verse 3, "'Know ye not that so many of us, as were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into His death?' And again, I pause every time, and I know I'm preaching to the choir, at least I hope, that the issue of baptism is the issue of identification. There's no water here. We're talking about our identification, our identity, who we are. Verse 4, "...therefore we are buried with Him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life." No one before Paul ever says, verse 3 and 4. No one does. No one says, verse 5, for if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Now watch verse 6. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified, notice that next word, with him. Not by him, not for him, but what? With him. That the body of sin might be destroyed. That henceforth we should not serve sin. Uh, uh, That we should not serve sin. What's Galatians 2.20 say? I am crucified with Christ. You see, no one before ever said that you were crucified with him. Isn't that wonderful? That's a deep meaning. That's a hidden meaning. There's a meaning there that now says that what Paul is doing and what Paul, the revelation given to Paul, preaching of the cross, one of those areas is, yes, our justification unto eternal life, where he came and he's come to save sinners, and he's come to walk you and I out of death and into life. But then he says, I'm going to then take that believer and I'm going to make him usable because what I'm going to say now is I'm going to give them a new identity, an identification that says that they were crucified with me so that I can do what? I can have resurrection life, the newness of life. So now I have a life that is given, I have his life. He gave me his life. No one prior to Paul taught that the sinner who came to some knowledge of Jesus Christ and him crucified is not only given eternal life but now is also crucified with him put to death with him on the cross Romans 20 uh, Revelation 20 verse 14 talking about the second death And the lake of fire. Literally when Christ hung at Calvary, what Paul is now revealing is yes, he hung there as Israel's Messiah. Yes, he was there to take care of Israel, to save his people from their sins. But the new revelation given to the Apostle Paul says, also there was the Gentiles. Also there was the body of Christ. Also there, it's it's unto all, Romans 3 but it's what? Uh, Upon all them that believe. Only Paul, not only did he give us eternal life, but he also then fixed my problem called the sin nature, the old man. See, Not only does he take care of the sins, the fruit, that's justification, but now he fixed this sin nature that I have, Now we can come over here and do what? Now I'm usable by God because what do I have? I have a new man. I have a new identity. I have a new creature. I have a new structure. I have something new going on here, you see. And again, we need to be very careful not to water down the gospel message. We're to not water down the preaching of the cross, to not let wisdom of words be what rules and runs the day. So when you come back over here to 1 Corinthians 1, verse 18, when he says, but unto us which are saved, it is what? The power of God. You know, it's the power of God unto eternal life. It's the power of God unto another identity and an issue of sanctification. And then he also then is now going in that third area, the area of glorification. Because he has accomplished our justification unto eternal life, because he has given unto us a a new identity, a sanctification, a a grace way to live life. All of that now is designed to demonstrate the preaching, the, the preaching of the cross, the glory of God on display. You come over to Ephesians 1, but go to Colossians 2, just real quick here. Colossians 2. You see, Paul, when man, when Paul preached the gospel, preaching of the cross, man, Paul gets into it. You know what happens is it very clearly, no one has ever said any of this before. And I'll be honest with you, you got to be crazy reading your Bible. Just read the scriptures. And you see clearly that Paul's saying stuff that contradicts Matthew 10, that contradicts Acts 2. Paul so, and, it's, and, and people yet are what? We're going to be in that vain wisdom of words, religious system, off over here doing stuff we shouldn't be involved in. Colossians chapter 2, notice if you will, just real quickly, verse 14. The language, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Come back to Ephesians chapter 1. So the preaching of the cross is also the glory of God on display and the fact that he's going to use us. He's going to take you and I. And he says, here is my glory. And when we preach the cross of Christ, we are demonstrating that the work of Christ was only possible because of the wisdom of God. You see, the cross is because of the wisdom of God, that wise wisdom plan and purpose that God had. So, therefore, it is what? The power of God, because it is the wisdom of God. Boy, isn't that wonderful? Woo-hoo, got you a new one. It's the power of God, because it's the wisdom of God, and ultimately, it's the glory of God on display. Look at Ephesians 1. Look here at verse 19. Ephesians 1, verse 19. And what is the exceeding greatness of His power to usward who believe, "...according to the working of His mighty power, which He wrought in Christ when He raised Him from the dead." And set him at his own right hand in heavenly places far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come, and hath put all things under his feet, and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. Look at all of that. Now, that comes out of verse 16. Cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus, uh, Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of who? Of him. Hey, here's this great wisdom plan, this knowledge that we need to have. We put that on board. Then, then what happens, verse 18, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that ye may know. You see, this is all about wisdom, and that's what Paul's going to get at here in chapter 1, verse 18, actually 19 and following for four chapters is that the Corinthians had gone after human wisdom rather than sit over here and take in God's wisdom, see? So what does he say? That the eyes of your, verse 18, the of your understanding being enlightened that ye may know what is the hope of, notice, his calling, not your calling, and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And what is the exceeding greatness of his? You see the his, 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 the father, the father's glory, the father's plan, the father's power, all of that. But wait a minute, don't we get one? Well, yeah, verse 11, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, you see. Verse 12, that we should be to the praise of his glory, who first trusted in Christ. By the way, no one's ever said that about you as a Gentile. You know what you are as a Gentile in the Old Testament? Dogs. You go back there in Psalms 22 and you you, you look at the details about the cross. And you know what happens in Psalms 22? He says in verse 16, For dogs have compassed me, the assembly of the wicked have enclosed me, they pierced my hands and my feet. The dogs, that's the Romans, around the feet, the foot, feet of the cross. The assembly of the wicked, there's apostate Israel. Back up in verse 12, he says, Many bulls have compassed me, strong bulls of Bashan. The bulls there, that's the the spiritual character of the whole scene. They're often Baal worship. A bull is the, the main idol, the main symbol of Baal worship in scripture and in religion. That's why the bulls everywhere. You know, at one time they had the uh, the temple open of the, the new temple, the LDS, uh, the Mormon temple. We go down and we we'll go see it. It's kind of interesting. And yet they got this big bull with 12 things on it, and, and that's where they baptized. And I'm like, bull, what's going on with that? You know, well, that's what it's all about. the symbols, the pictures. So when you come back here to 1 Corinthians 1, get back on time because I don't want to keep you. Uh, longer than what you're used to, and yet I may let you out a little earlier, no promises. What Paul's getting at here is that the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is the what? The power of God. So when you look around and you see the wisdom of words, again, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, what did we learn? The earthly ministry, the early Acts period, they never preach, they never present the cross the way that Paul does, clearly. What does he say? Hey, the cross, that's where the, the justif- our justification unto eternal life, it's for all of humanity. And if you believe it, you trust it, then you're going to get a new identity because you were with him when he hung there at Calvary. Then he says, and by the way, all of that is to his to, to, to the glory of God. That's his power on display. Now, I want to catch a couple things between Peter and Paul. Okay? In Acts, Peter says that Paul that Christ was crucified because of his enemies. By the way, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Lord says the same thing. But in Acts, he, again, Acts 2, Peter says, Ye by wicked hands have taken, and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. Verse 30, Acts 2.36, Therefore let all the house of Israel know it surely, that God hath made the same Jesus whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Who crucified? Jesus Christ, Peter says that Jesus Christ died because of his enemies. Now, come over to Romans 5. And again, I'm, fo- I'm trying to focus more in on Paul, so you go look at Acts and Peter and so forth. But look at Romans 5. Paul doesn't say that. Peter says Christ was crucified because of his enemies. Paul says, Romans 5, verse 6, For when we were yet without without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man should some even dare to die. But God commended His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, being now justified by His blood, ye shall be saved from wrath through Him. For if, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more, being reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. Who does Paul say that he was crucified by? Peter said he was crucified because of his enemies. Paul says Jesus Christ was crucified for His enemies. Isn't that fantastic? While you were out there sinning, Christ died for you. By the way, wisdom of words says what? Stop sinning and you'll go to heaven. No, in spite of you sinning, Christ died for you. Again, you go to Acts 2, 3, 4, 5. Peter, Stephen, you guys killed him. You're the enemy. Paul says, nope. Again, Peter, not good news. Wicked hands. Israel, they killed him. Who killed him, Peter? Who killed Who killed the Lord? Israel did. They're the ones that said, "His blood be upon our hands and our children's." Come over to Romans eight again. I touched on this last week, but we'll say it again here. Romans eight thirty one. Who did Paul say killed the Lord Jesus Christ? Peter says the the, the enemies did. Israel did. The Lord says, I'm surrounded by the dogs and the wicked nation and the bulls of Bashan. They're the enemies. Paul says, Romans eight thirty one what shall we then say to these things? If God before us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Paul says, you know who killed the Lord Jesus Christ? God the Father did. God the Father, it was him who delivered him up for us all. Peter says, nope, it's Israel. Paul says, nope, it was the Father. Something deeper going on here than just what the prophetic, come over to Romans 3, from just what the prophetic scriptures had. Again, prophecy, the Old Testament, the Psalms and and the prophets and the law, All of that had a very limited view of Calvary. Why? Because there's a broader view, but it was hidden. God kept secret, now revealed to the Apostle Paul, now put out there to be. And literally what's happening here is while Peter says, Israel, you killed him, you're the enemy, Paul says, no, the one that delivered him up was the Father. Why? Because it was his wise plan. It's his wisdom. It's the wisdom of God, see? The Father personally provided the only sacrifice that would answer his offended justice, that would answer the plight of humanity. No one prior to Paul ever talked like this, uses this kind of language. Romans 3, verse 24, being justified freely by his grace. Oh, only Paul through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Now watch verse 25. Whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood to declare His righteousness for the remissions of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. What a verse. Man, verse 25 is powerful. It's got a lot going on there. Notice what Paul, what Paul says here, whom God hath, what? Notice that, set forth. The Father did something, and Paul sets it out as set forth. God the Father purposely, deliberately, violently pre- presents His Son as the sin sacrifice in open shame. Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. He became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Paul, there's something deeper happening here. And as the Lord and as the Father in his wisdom plan lays it out to the Godhead in eternity past, before the world began, before the foundations, before Genesis 1-1, and the the son says, I'll play this role if that's okay. Let me do that. And the Holy Spirit says, I'll do this then. And they begin to work and... And the father is the one that's held responsible. He looks over there and he says, okay, son, you're going to do that. I trust you. I believe you're going to do it. So whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood, and I'll trust your activity, and I'll trust it to be to you. Just as the son looks back at the father and says, okay, I'm going to trust your word that you'll do what you said. And there's this mutual harmony and agreement together. And you know what Paul says? He set forth. It was deliberate. It was on purpose. And the father, according to the revelation given to Paul, the father is held responsible for the cross. And he did it because of his deep love for you, a sinner ungodly. He did it for all of humanity. He answers the promise of Titus 1-2 that the Godhead made to each other in eternity past where that God who cannot lie promised. Uh, You got to look at that, Titus 1. Titus 1 verse 2. In hope of eternal life which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. Who was back there before the world began? No one was. Except for who? The Godhead, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. They make a binding agreement to provide eternal life. For who? For humanity that they're going to create, who's going to fall, who's going to be in a sin condition, who's going to violate the righteous judgment of God, the righteous morality, integrity of God, the holiness of God, going to violate that. And you know what we're going to do? We're going to go down there and save them and provide a redemptive program for them. And in Romans 3, verse 25, you know what he says? He says, it was the Father that put the Son on the cross. Peter, Israel did it. That's two different things. They are not the same. You see, folks, the cross, the the gospel, the preaching of the cross is this glorious transaction between the Father and the Son to solve humanity's sin problem. Paul says, we preach Christ crucified. Peter says, we preach Christ crucified, but how? By You guys by wicked hands did it. Paul says, no, 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 the Father did it. By the way, verse 25 goes on and gives you a little bit more deep revelation here. To declare His righteousness for remissions of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. The past there isn't... The past is time past. It's the Old Testament. The great illustration is in the very next chapter, in chapter 4, in verse 6 there, even as David also described the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputeth righteousness without work, saying, Psalms 32, Psalms 103, blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. You know, when David sinned with Bathsheba and then committed murder of her husband and Nathan comes and they go through and they do everything, David has no clue how God could forgive him. Nathan says he's good to go, but how could he do it? Why? Because the father knew who was coming. The father knew what event was coming, Calvary. No one understood it. Paul points a line on it and says, oh, by the way, you know how he could look over and forbear the Old Testament activity? Because the cross was on his mind. The Old Testament folks have no, they never looked towards Calvary. I I was reading a book years ago and it said, oh, you know, the Old Testament uh, uh, fathers and patriarchs and everything, they all looked forward to Calvary. No, they didn't. They didn't look forward to it at all. I'm on the rant, so I'm on the rabbit now. So come over to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 9. Receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls, of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you. Searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ. Which was in them did signify when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ, there's the cross, and the glory that should follow. Unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves but unto us they did minister the things which are now reported unto you, by them which have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, which things the angels desired to look into. You know what Peter's saying there? Peter's saying that when, the, when, when Isaiah wrote Isaiah 53, when David wrote Psalms 22, when they wrote those, they, they went and diligently searched out, what does that mean and when is it going to happen? And you know what? The Holy Spirit said to them, it ain't for you guys. It's going to come to a later group. And you know that later group in Peter was Peter in the little flock, Acts chapter 1, there where the things were open to him, Luke 24, and so forth. They weren't looking forward to the cross. They're trying to figure out what he's talking about. Romans 3.25, Paul says, you know who? You know what the Father was doing all along. He was waiting for that central event called, Cal- called Calvary to come and happen. You see, now come back to Romans 3. By the way, how you know that, verse 26, to declare, I say, at this time. What time? Right now, but now his righteousness and so forth. So the cross, the preaching of the cross is that again that that one that glorious transaction between the father and the son where that act and really the holy spirit too to solve man's problem. The cross is the work of God in his infinite wisdom. He did it for who? We saw it earlier, Romans 5, you and I Ungodly enemy. If you're his enemy, you're not his friend. See. So the message of great the message of the gospel is not God will love you if you stop sinning. God will love you if you walk the aisle, jump in the back. None of that. God will love you with the outward expression of an inward faith. None of that. None of that's scriptural. All of that is wisdom of words. So let's go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 17. For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words. Why? Lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. We're not to water it down. We're not to dilute it. We're not to mess with it. We're not to do any of that. What are we going to do? Verse 18. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is. The power of God. Now, as Paul is now going to move into dealing with the first core problem here at Corinth, the root cause of all of their problems, which is they've embraced human wisdom over God's wisdom. And again, you've got to remember 117 how it happened to them, how they were deceived and carried away, is by wisdom of words. And again, when you think about wisdom of words, look at verse 20. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? See that? Verse 27. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty and base things of the world, and things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, the things which are not, to bring to naught things that are. Chapter 2, verse 6, Howbeit we speak wisdom among them that are perfect, yet not the wisdom of this world, nor of the princes of this world that come to naught. Now, Paul's going to use, he's using a term, by the way, he's using a term here called uh, uh, that, that world. Wisdom of the world, okay? That is not a talking about the planet Earth. All right. Rather, it's talking about that reference in 2.6, the princes of this world. He's talking about the governing system that is operating in on the planet. You see, there's a spiritual realm as well as a physical realm. We understand that. The invisible, visible, okay? Things seen, not seen. We get that. You know, we were talking a couple weeks ago about the UFOs, you know, and they, all, all this, you know, hearings and everything come out, and they're like, well, you know, there could be extraterrestrials, but you do understand that there is life in outer space. It's just not human life. There's the angelic host out there. See, but see you and I as Bible believers, we ought to not be caught up in all of that. I'll just tell you, quite honestly, we got to be on board with with what the book says. Notice here, uh, come over to Ephesians. 2. I want to pick up just real quick here uh, on this issue of the wisdom of this world and the princes of this world. There is a in the spirit. There is there is a system that permeates, that governs the way this planet works and operates. And he uses that princes of this world. Come over to Ephesians chapter 2. As soon as I read that verse, you ought to have thought about Ephesians chapter number 2. I know you did, and, uh, and, and, and I'm glad of that. Ephesians 2. There is, there is a prince of this world. There is a God of this world talking about Satan the prince the power of the air it's all about Satan who who has he's taken his wisdom plan Isaiah 14 I will be like the most I will do this I will do that he took that wisdom plan of Romans 1:25 of worshiping the creature more than the creator and he's he's dumped it into the lap of the world he came in and and he's caused uh, to uh, the the world to to come up and it's his wisdom policy against the wisdom plan of God, so the world system is that governing system of the adversary. And God's wisdom sits here, and 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 Satan's wisdom sits there, and man has gravitated naturally to Satan's system, so much so, Ephesians two verse one, and he. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. The death here, that's your spiritual death. Wherein in time past, how you know verse verse uh, 2 here. Wherein in time past, ye walked according to the course of this world. According to, again, according to the blueprint, the measuring stick, the measure, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in time past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Notice this, very, notice this thing in verse 2. The course of the world. There, there's a, the world is on a course. I mean, you think about a course, you think about school, you know, algebra, math. And the courses of math that you can take in science and the biologies and all that, and you think about that, and there's this is in, but this is in the spirit realm, but it's being worked out on display into the physical realm, and the one doing it is this prince, the power of the air. So think about that, prince, principality. There's the chief ruler. Power. There's government authority. Heir, the invisible realm. He's the chief ruler of the governing authority in the invisible realm. And by the way, Ephesians 6.12, he says our warfare is where? With spiritual wickedness in high places. So this spirit of the world, this course of the world, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, all of that has to do with with wisdom. And the way you're going to think about the the philosophy, the value system, the the way of, the, the mental disposition that humanity has that is connected to the wisdom of words, the wisdom of the world, the prince, the power of the air, to Satan's and what, again, Romans 1, you've you got to remember this stuff. Romans 1, 25, here it is. You see, what Satan is doing is he's expressing what he, what he thinks and how he thinks it ought to be. And he conducts his plan of rebellion through unsaved humanity out there. And by the way, that's this way of thinking that grips all of humanity. And when the believer doesn't renew his mind, guess what it's going to do to you and I? It'll grip us as well. And you know what that'll cause? That'll cause us to move into the carnality that is at Corinth. Because we've moved away from God's wisdom and we've moved into the wisdom of the world. Romans 1.25, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Come on over to Romans 16. We were here at the end just a few months ago, Romans 16, 17, and 18, and it clearly, again, here we are, see. If you and I fail to renew our mind and think about what we're doing and think about according to God's wisdom, then you and I will fall victim to, and that's what Romans sixteen, seventeen is about. Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine And again, which ye have learned, and avoid them. This is stuff that you've learned. So when we talk about the preaching of the cross, if you've learned that your justification is by faith alone, and then you hear somebody use wisdom of words in that same justification moment, and they tell you you got to have an outward expression of an inward faith, that instantly knows that they're walking contrary to what? To the Word of God rightly divided. You're not picking a fight, you're making a a connection. Verse 18, for they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, and by good words and fair speech deceive the hearts of the simple. And there's 117, the wisdom of words. What's the result? None effect. What's the result? Romans 16, 17, and 18, you're carried away. You're a victim now. So verse 18, 1 Corinthians 1.18, the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. It's it's what it's the preaching of the cross. What is God's thinking? What's his wisdom? And if I take on human think, human wisdom, human viewpoint, it'll literally comes in and causes the cross work of Christ to not be enough, again, in our thinking. It is enough in God's thinking. It's just a not enough in our thinking. So what does the church say? Well, the church at large says that uh, we need to water it down. We need to add to it. We need to do this. We need to take the offensiveness out of it. Don't use hell. Don't use like a fire. You know, use Hades. Well, everybody knows Hades is, hell and Hades are the same. I mean, you know, come on. When Paul says we preach the cross, we're to preach it with vigor and with all the ugliness, with all the violence, with all the offense. Why? Because we need to maintain its, and protect its integrity. Because what happens is, is that that gets lost And where do we end up? We never lose our identity. We never lose our blessings. We never lose who we are in Christ. We're sealed with the Holy Spirit. But where does that put us? It puts us over here in in being more acceptant to things that we should draw the line on. And then that carries us out of the battlefield and makes us ineffective in doing our jobs of ambassadorship. Now, moving forward, 19 and following, Paul's going to get into the wisdom stuff, but before we do that, next time, I want to look at one scripture reference that is used to cause the church and really others to fall for the wisdom of the world, the wisdom of words. And we'll look at that next time, okay? All right, dearly Father, we thank you for the morning Lord, we thank you for your word, we thank you for the cross of Calvary, for all that it brings to us, for all that it accomplishes, and for all that we can do and say in your name and give you the glory and the honor for it. In your name we pray, amen.